1: So
2: Jesus is baptized. He comes up out of the water. The Holy Spirit descends upon him like a dove. Jesus then is led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness where he there is tempted of the devil. When he overcomes every temptation, angels come and minister to him, And then we find Jesus in the book of Matthew, the fourth chapter. We begin to hear Jesus preach for the first time. Verse 17. From that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The first thing we begin to hear from the lips of our Lord as he begins his ministry is the word repent well we need to stop and ask the question what does Jesus mean when he says repent you're listening to Pilgrim's Progress I'm Ray Greenley, the pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. My heart is very concerned today. My heart is concerned for you. I'm wondering what your spiritual condition is before God today. There has come a casualness upon the people of God there has come a wickedness into the house of God. There has come a self-justification into the heart of God's people. And the result has been a hardening of the heart against repentance. We see the evidence of that in a lack of confession of sin. We see the result in a hardness of heart and a total lack of concern for the lost and the dying. As I speak with Christian men particularly about this question, I find men making excuses saying, I'm not really cut out to talk to anybody about Jesus. That's really not my job. That's the job of the evangelist. That's the job of the pastor. That's that's your job, not mine. So let's come back and look very carefully at this word repentance. The word literally in the Greek means an afterthought. In other words, after you have done something, after you have said something, you think about it and the Holy Spirit begins to quicken your heart and say that was wrong. Now we have blocked the Holy Spirit from speaking to us in this modern age by being so consumed by our life that there is no time, there is no energy to focus on on the life of the spirit. And so there is a total lack of understanding regarding what repentance is and the necessity of repentance and confession of sin in the heart of God's people. And so there is a hardening of the heart and an allowance for worldliness and sin that essentially means that most who call themselves Christians continue to walk unconsciously in their sin and have in fact not been converted, not been changed into a new person because they still love the same old things. So let's begin today by speaking about what is repentance And as I do this, I'm very conscious of the fact that this broadcast will have no meaning to you. If it is not quickened to you by the Holy Spirit, it will instead likely just make you angry. I pray this broadcast will not make you angry, but will rather allow the Holy Spirit to begin to do a deeper work in your heart. So let's pray. Almighty God, I come repenting before you today. Repenting for a lack of concern for the lost and the dying, for we have not cared much about them. We have sat comfortably in our institutional churches, and we've gone through the practice of religion, but we've been self-satisfied. We've been consumed by the things of the world. We've been consumed by just the task of living and taking care of our families. Lord, I'm asking for a change. I'm asking that you would cut through today and bring to us an awareness of our desperate need for you. Lord, I need you. Without you, I will perish. Without you, I will not be able to reach out and touch the brother and sister that I love so much. Lord, I need you. I need you, Jesus. There must come a change in our hearts, Jesus. Lord, would you quicken this word Will you give me appropriate utterance of your truth that it can be heard and understood by your people and the lost and the unconverted? In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Well, many people, when they talk about repentance, suppose that it means simply remorse a sense of guilt. Well, then hell is full of people who are repenting, because in hell right now, there is a people full of remorse, unutterable and eternal. Others feel regret for what they have said or done, and we have called that repenting. But in fact, that regret is only because of the consequence of that sin. There is not a hatred for sin. This is not repentance. Now others of you would suppose that conviction of sin and strong fear that you'll go to hell is repentance. That is not repentance. Some of you think that if your conscience hurts you, and you say, I'm sorry... I apologize. That is not repentance. Feeling sorry for your sin is not repentance. Repentance is a change of mind, it's a change of behavior. It is a recognition of how I have hurt or harmed my brother, my sister, my church. Or a recognition of how I have hurt Jesus Christ. Repentance is a a change of my viewpoint. It is a change of my preference or choice. It is a voluntary change. It is a change of how I feel of what I think, of what my action is toward God and toward sin. It is a change of mind. When a man changes from being a Democrat to a Republican, we say he has had a change of mind. He has new loyalties. He now has gone through what everyone understands is a change in his conduct. This is repentance. But Christian repentance is a total change of the will and of the feelings and of life itself in respect to a holy and righteous God. You see, repentance always includes a hatred of sin. It involves A great love for God and the forsaking of that wickedness. Now, the sinner who truly repents does not feel like he's giving up something precious. A sinner said recently, You know, what happens if I repent? I'm going to have to give up all of these things I enjoy. Well, that man must go through a total change of heart so that he enjoys things that are much different than the gambling, the theater, the television, the movies, the lying, the cheating, the ambition. Everything changes when a man begins to repent. He turns aside from everything he once loved and he turns to the living God you see repentance is a total change of heart it is a leaving of the things of darkness it is a change of mind in regard to the things you once loved and you no longer love those things it's not white knuckling it It's not, all right, I'll repent and I'll try to put this under, but I love what I wanted. I said to a man, you love your sin, don't you? Yes. You see, the reason a man does not leave his sin is because he loves it. The reason a woman does not leave her wickedness is because she loves her wickedness. That's a sign that that person is not a Christian. If you desire the former way of life after you say you have become a Christian, you have not truly repented before God. If there is not a change of viewpoint and feelings, you have not truly repented before God. You have not yet been converted. When I see Christian men and women who still want to go to their parties and their clubs, they still want to go out and have that beer. They still want to gamble. Poker is very important to them. I recognize that they're religious but unconverted. I recognize when a man or a woman has a great interest in the things of the world, the flesh, or the devil they are not converted if you go buy that machine and you buy that that card to gamble you've not been converted you're a religious person perhaps but you have not believed the gospel of Jesus Christ You have not yet made that final decision to follow after Jesus. A group of so-called Christian leaders of a Washington, D.C. church had a cigar night. And after they had smoked their cigars and had the requisite alcohol, they decided they would like to all get together and go to the strip club, so they left and went to the strip club. On Sunday, they would stand before God's people with smiles and welcome people into the house of the Lord. Really? Is that Christian behavior? No. That's not Christian behavior. What must I do to be saved? The jailer asked. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, what does it mean to believe the gospel? These men would all say, I believe in Jesus. I believe the gospel. Well, the devil believes the gospel as well. If there is not an evidence in how we act, it is simply an admission of belief without any evidence. You say, Oh, I believe the Bible is true. That intellectual conviction does not change a careless sinner into a Christian. He is simply an intellectual believer. But I want to tell you, what makes a sinner begin to be concerned is when he begins to look at the Scripture and he truly begins to believe it. Not just intellectually agree with it, If you do not have strong feelings about the subject of Jesus Christ, if you do not have a strong feeling about walking intimately with Jesus, and yet you say, I believe. You may very well be an infidel. Now, I'm sure that's going to be shocking to some of you because you go to church every Sunday. Many infidels go to church every Sunday. And they put on this religious robe. But in the depths of their heart, they curse, they're angry. They love their sin. They love their sports. They love their wickedness of the world. They don't understand that Jesus Christ died for them, for you. So if you believe that you are a Christian because you intellectually agree and have tried to adjust your life in some manner to be acceptable to the church. You may very well be an infidel. Why? Because when you begin to put your total trust in Jesus Christ, when you begin to commit your whole soul to him, when you begin to trust all of your confidence in Jesus... there is a change that occurs in you. Do you remember the story of Abraham? When he was told to leave his country and go to a land that he did not know, he acted. His belief was connected to action. When Noah was told to build an ark to deliver his family, he immediately began to build the ark. I'm sure that building that ark took every bit of the currency of the then known world. I'm sure it emptied all of his resources. Because when the flood was finished, his currency was without value. The world was gone. This is believing in Jesus. This is placing my trust in Jesus Christ. So when I say to you out of Proverbs twenty three twenty six, 26, that you should give your heart to God, what am I talking about? I'm saying you need to give Jesus the total affection of your heart. Don't give it to gambling. Don't give the affection of your heart to work. Don't give the affection of your heart to the television or to the sports or to the fishing or to anything else in this world. Don't give your affections to anything in this world. Do not love the world the flesh, or the devil. Give your affection totally to Jesus Christ. Now, what would your life look like if today you made the decision that you would give all of your affection to Jesus Christ? Oh, you wouldn't do the same things, would you? You wouldn't go the same places, would you? You wouldn't hold the same conversations, would you? I was with a friend we were having coffee together and someone came and spoke with us and the conversation was chit chat social and then he began to tell a story of where God had spoken to him and he began to talk about his obedience to that voice that had spoken to him and about the result of his obedience that cost him time and energy. As that person walked away and we sat and talked about what had just transpired, my friend said, that conversation was utterly boring to me until he began to speak about Jesus. I thought about that. My friend was exactly right. Everything about this world is boring. It's dead. It's foolishness. The only thing that really matters... Is Jesus Christ and winning the lost to Him. Everything else is boring. All that matters is the building of the kingdom of God. All that matters is am I invested in the building of that kingdom? Now, I go to work and I have to deal with, if I work in the government or I work in a business, I have to deal with those issues. But those issues have to be dealt with in the context of why I'm in that place. I'm not there to make money. I'm there to witness that Jesus Christ is Lord. And I'm there to bring that business under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Everything else is boring to me. Why would I want to sit down and watch men slam into each other on the 50-yard line as they're paid millions of dollars to be the modern-day gladiators why would that be interesting to me if my heart is for Jesus Christ it's evident that if that is true in your life your primary concern is not Jesus Christ you love the world and the things of darkness Now there's going to have to come a whole new understanding into our hearts. There's going to have to come a whole new process. It's called revival. It's called revival. In the book of James... Let me turn to it quickly. In the book of James, there is a passage of Scripture that I want to turn to. It's in the fifth chapter of James. This is very serious. Listen. James 5, I'll begin with verse 13. Is anyone among you afflicted? In other words, is any of you sick? Are you dying? Let him pray. Is anyone merry? Let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Today, if one of us is sick, we rush to the doctor, and we keep our sins. Verse 16, confess your faults one to another. That word faults in the Greek literally means confess your side slips. Side slips, that's the literal meaning of this word. It's not harmatia, it's not sin. It's side slips. It means apostasy or a lapse. It means a sin, a transgression. So confess to one another. This is a description of the New Testament church. James is the pastor of the New Testament church. He's telling his people, look, confess your sins to each other. Why would he say that? Because when we confess, it humbles our heart. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elias was a man, or Elijah, was a man subject to like passions as we are. In other words, he was a real man. But his heart was revival in Israel. He did not go along with Ahab. Ahab. He did not go along with the transgressors, the casual, the laid back. He prayed earnestly. That is, he poured out every ounce of energy he had praying that it might not rain. In other words, he said, Oh God, bring your judgment on this nation that the pain will become so high that this nation must get serious with you. I'm praying, O God, bring judgment under repentance on America. Bring judgment on your church under repentance, not destruction, under repentance. The scriptures say it rained not on the earth for the space of three years and six months. And you know what happened at Mount Carmel. It says, Then he prayed again, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. Brethren, if any of you do err from truth, and one convert him, This is the New Testament church where men need to be converted yet, who call themselves Christians. If you think that happened in the New Testament church, don't you believe that is happening everywhere in the modern church? Let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the air of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sin. So, what is true confession? Well, it's certainly in the context of repentance. It's a change of mind. It's a change of mind. So, how do you do it? Well, you begin by pulling out paper and pencil and making a list of every sin you're aware of in your heart and in your life. You examine your conscience. And you begin this examination with paper, pen, or pencil in your private place of prayer. And you begin to write down the indifference, the coldness, the lack of concern for the lost. You include sins against God and against other people. And then you begin to confess out loud to the Lord. And as you confess, more sins will become apparent to you. Probably you're going to have to repeat this process several times until you absolutely have an assurance that you have repented of every sin. As you verbally before God confess, be honest with him. Remember that you're disclosing this to the God of heaven who knows all about you. There are no hidden secrets from him. So confess each sin separately. Don't complain as you're making confession before God. Don't attempt to justify your behavior. Don't blame your weakness or your habits. The more you justify yourself, the less you will be made righteous by God. The more you condemn your behavior and take responsibility you will be made righteous by god don't try to protest all the good things you think you've done and tell god you ought to give me a break here instead we must begin to confess with sorrow and a contrite heart the coldness of our own heart the way we have grieved our lord jesus this is not a casual process. It's not a matter of laughter. It's very sober. It's very serious. As you confess, let the Holy Spirit show you what it is about God's character or His law that has made your sin so offensive to Him. Confess your sins with absolute faith that Jesus Christ loves you and will forgive you. Someone said to me, Pastor, I'm having a hard time. Do you suppose that these things are happening in my life because God is angry with me about my past sins? I said, did you repent of those sins? Yes, I did. Have you turned aside from them? Yes, I have. How do you feel about them? Well, I hate that I did it. Then God forgave you. Stand by faith that your past is forgiven. Trust him. Then you need to make restitution. If you lied to someone, you need to go tell that person that you lied and you need to tell them the truth. If you stole something from a person or a business, you need to go repay it. I've told you before of the man who was homeless and would go into the grocery store and slip a steak into his pocket. When he became a Christian... He went back to that same grocery store and asked for the manager, and as soon as he asked for the manager, suddenly there was a crowd waiting in line behind him. And as the manager said, yes, how can I help you? He said, a number of years ago, I came in your store and I stole steaks from you. I've come today to pay you for those steaks. He didn't know if the man would call the police and have him arrested, He didn't know what the response would be. Well, the manager's response was utter embarrassment. He said, never mind, never mind. Next. The man did not turn away. He took a hundred dollar bill out of his pocket and he laid it on the counter. And the manager said, no, never mind. You don't have to pay back. And the Christian man said, yes, I do have to pay you back. I stole. This is my restitution and the manager refused to pick up the $100 bill, and so the Christian man turned and just walked away and left it on the counter. If you bought alcohol or tobacco for someone, underage or not, you need to go repent to that person and tell them you were wrong. If you've been living with someone you're not married to, one of you needs to move out you need to talk together about why it's wrong and repent together before Jesus. If children are involved, you need to explain to the children that what you were doing was sin against Almighty God and that you are repenting and that you will no longer walk that way and you plead with them to never do your sin. If you sinned against the church, you need to make a public confession before the congregation. If you've lived a double life, you're involved in church, maybe you even teach Sunday school, maybe you even preach, and you've created the impression that you are a righteous man or woman, and yet you have been involved in extramarital affair, you've been living as a hypocrite. You intentionally misled the church to believe something about you that was not true you need to confess to the church and make it right. If you were in the church and you became angry and you became critical in spirit and judgmental, you need to look carefully at the scripture that says before you try to deal with your brother's speck, you need to take the plank out of your own eye If you have withheld from the church finances, if you have judged and been critical, you need to go confess and pay back what you have withheld because it's God's money. Do you understand? What I'm talking about is very serious. You cannot just condemn someone and walk away. I've had people who have thought I was a great sinner who just walked away while in fact I was innocent before God. But they never bothered or cared enough to come and ask any questions. They just cut and ran with a spirit of judgment and condemnation. This kind of behavior has to be repented of, or God's judgment will rest on your life. You cannot harm God's church and just walk away and expect that the presence of God will go with you. Lastly, You need to forgive those who have wronged you or hurt you. In your private place of prayer, you need to create a final list of names of those who have wronged you or hurt you, and then out loud, one by one, tell Jesus what that person did to hurt you. Acknowledge that what they did is wrong. Identify what that person owes you And then agree with God that you will not try to take vengeance or collect what that person owes you. You release them from all debt. And you plead with God to please forgive them. Now in some cases, even if you have not sinned against a particular individual, It is very profitable to confess your sin to a brother or a sister in the church or in a prayer meeting. That's what James 5 is talking about. Confessing your side slips, your apostasy, your sin. Confess to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. I want to tell you, Last night was one of the most glorious prayer meetings I have ever participated in at the National Prayer Chapel or any place else. A sinner came to Jesus and made the decision that he would cast aside everything of darkness and he would serve Jesus Christ. Another new Christian was there who made that decision just a short time ago also at the National Prayer Chapel happens to be two men. The rest of the prayer meeting, I did not do any presentation. I didn't need to. Brothers and sisters stepped in and began to speak to this new Christian man, speaking the word of God to him, encouraging him, Even the new believer of only a couple months ago stepped in to pray for this new believer and with great courage confessed his own sin. He had slipped. He needed prayer. He needed encouragement. Now, please, may I say something to you that may startle you? If you have not won anyone to Jesus in the last year, it is probably because there is real sin in your heart against Jesus. Hardness of heart toward the lost is a sign of sin in the life of a religious person. When you begin to walk through the confession process, what happens? your heart is softened and broken up. And now you suddenly begin to be very concerned for the lost. So if you say, if I come to you and say, look, the commission of Jesus is that we go make disciples. And there's only one commission. And if I say to you, He called his disciples to be fisher of men. There's no other calling for a disciple of Jesus other than to be a fisher of men. That's the only calling Jesus made. He didn't make any other calling. And his commission is only for one thing. So if if you have rejected the calling of Jesus to be a fisher of men, and you have rejected the commission of Christ to make disciples, it's because there's sin in your heart. And there's hardness in your heart. There's casualness and there is love of the world in your heart. Now look, I'm being straight up. I don't need to please you. I need to be honest with you about your spiritual condition. You need to be revived in the name of Jesus. And that revival is only going to happen in your heart as you begin to confess honestly your love of the world as you confess honestly the love of your secret life, as you begin to confess honestly the casualness of your heart, you will then be made alive in Christ Jesus, and you will begin the revival process. And what was so exciting about the meeting last night is that everybody was involved in helping a sinner become a saint. Now, some of you say, Well, Pastor, I can't go out and talk to people. No, but you can get on your knees and you can spend hours in prayer. And I will guarantee you that as you begin to pray for sinners and your heart begins to be broken for them, you will not be able to help yourself. You will have to go speak to a sinner. That's just the way it works. Because suddenly you see that that sinner is headed for death, destruction, and hell. And you recognize that in the coldness of heart and in the love of the world, you also were headed for hell. Just because you call yourself a Christian does not mean you're not an infidel. Infidels love the church. Now please hear me straight up the sign that there is sin in your heart, coldness in your heart, is that you have no love for the lost and you're not willing to sacrifice time and energy to pray for them and to win them to Jesus. You need to confess and repent. We're out of time for this broadcast. I truly need to hear from you. If you want this broadcast to go out over Washington, D.C., I need your help. I can't do it alone. And I'm trusting in Jesus that you will send resources to help cover the cost. I received a check last night from a dear brother, $210 toward this month's radio bill. I rejoice in his sacrifice. Thank all of you who have given small or great. I need to hear from you. Please, as the Holy Spirit directs you, write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. I am so eager for for you to be revived. I'm so eager for you to be set on fire for the lost and the dying. I'm so concerned for you to be made righteous. Would you help me? God bless you, my brother and my sister. I love you in Jesus. I'll talk to you soon.